Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast where two brothers discuss a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the brothers slash comic book fans slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other of all those things and much less, Will Hines. Um, and uh, this is a special episode because it's not really an episode of our podcast. That's right. We were guests on the Marvel by the Month podcast to discuss uh, a comic book, and we said uh, that we just wanted to release the episode in our feed as well. So that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And what are we discussing in this episode, Will? We're discussing a series uh, done by Alan Moore in like 1994, was it? And it's 93. called 1993. And it's called, oh, yeah. And it's called 1963. And it's basically a tribute slash homage to the Marvel comics of 1963 and a little of the DC comics, too. Yeah. Uh, Marvel by the Month is a podcast that we've been on before that discusses every month. They discuss like a month's output of the Marvel line. So they started like with month one and they've just worked their way up and they discuss every book that came out that month. Good, bad and ugly. Uh, so it's sort of thematically true for their podcast it's also thematically uh similar to stuff we've covered in our podcast so it felt good for a crossover between our two podcasts so this has been released if you listen to both uh, uh marvel by the month and screw it we're just going to talk about comics it's the same content other than this intro yeah we don't want to sell you a false bill of goods this is the same yeah. episode just with a little bit of a wrapper on the top which is us talking yeah, uh, but if you don't listen to their podcast, it's a good podcast. You should listen to it. But if you don't, you're going to get it here as well. This is us and the hosts of Marvel by the Month discussing 1963, which I think is a really, really fun series that is not collected. So if you don't have these comics, they're not online anywhere. There's no way for you to read them other than finding the back issues, I guess. Yeah, but uh, we hope you do because it's a really fun series to read. Yeah, and hopefully if you haven't read them this still makes sense and is fun to listen to these you know there's basically a comic book that's sort of the fantastic four analogs and the spider-man analog and the thor analog so far and the x x-men no the avengers analog the avengers and and all of them captain america hulk they're all in there dr strange yeah thor uh so um that's, if you, yeah, if that's... you haven't read it and you can't get copies of it listen to the episode and try to draw the issues and write the issues based on what we say and send it to us and we'll let you know how close you got. Yeah, we'll sell those comics for a tidy profit. Ooh, you maybe. won't get any because we want to sort of follow the Marvel mode right. of like sort of where the Martin Goodmans. We'll give you world. a page rate of like, you know, 10 bucks a page. Yeah, <laughs> actually, we might lose then. I don't know if we'll sell anything. <laughs> we'll give you a page rate, but we own the characters, <laughs> your version of the characters yeah. outright. Yeah. And also uh, some of your clothing we own. And we're just going to make you feel bad. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk um, about how we are responsible for all of your creations. Oh, boy, are we going to take credit. Yeah. Us and you, me, and Steve Ditko created everything you send us. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's uh, that's what you're about to listen to. We'll probably record a tiny little outro at the end. So if you really want to hear more of uh, Screw It Comics only content, listen for this whole, I don't know how, this is a long episode, I think. Yeah. Get to the end and you'll hear a little bit more from us. But if you're computer savvy, you'll be able to fast forward through if that's what you want. Wait, what forward? Fast forward? Never heard of it. I guess I'm not computer savvy. All right, here's the episode. 
All right, everyone, welcome back. We are here to talk about 1963, the comic, not the year, mm. uh, with uh, a couple of very good friends of ours. Uh, they do the Screw It, We're Just Going to Talk About Comics podcast. Welcome uh, to Marvel by the Month, uh, Will and Kevin Hines. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so thanks, for, thanks for inviting us back. Absolutely. Yeah, we feel we feel we feel well liked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You we, are. You Getting are. invited back says something, right? We didn't blow it. We've made it. <laughs> yeah. We've made it. Or no, it was we, such a spectacular failure that we felt <laughs> we wanted to see if we could recreate it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I take that too. Either like, way. <laughs> yeah. It's also remembered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I think last time we had you on, we were talking about some very late period uh, Kirby Lee Fantastic Four. Um, yes. It was uh, it was sort of in that weird period of Marvel Comics where uh, the original guard was kind of getting tired and worn out and the new kids hadn't shown up yet. So it was a it was a kind of a funny era. But the thing we're going to be talking about today is a throwback to sort of. It's a, I don't, I don't know what would you call it, like a, a tribute, a pastiche, a mm. parody. Of, homage. Homage. A little yeah. bit of all those things. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a lot of questions about what to call this. Uh, like, yeah. I, I think part, we'll kind of. Part parody that. too. They're making fun of it for sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, some of it is with love. It. It's with love. Mm-hmm. Most of it feels like they love it. Yes. yes. Like every sure. once in a while it veers into yeah. territory where it's like, do you even enjoy the source material of that? Like, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that. Alan Moore makes fun of this style of Marvel comics any more than Stan Lee did. Like I, I think almost yeah. the the huh. self hatred might be the same amount that was in the original. <laughs> right, it's right. kind of baked into the DNA. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess before we start talking about this, um, first I'm curious to hear um, who here has had read this uh, before you read it for today's show, um, and who was coming at it with fresh eyes. So, Will, had you? I read it for the first time today. I read okay. all six issues today mm-hmm. uh, and last night, and I had not read it before. Okay. Um, so I, the freshest of eyes. Gotcha. And Kevin, you were familiar with this. I've you? read these. I own these issues. They're in my long box. I've gotten rid of a lot of comics over the years, but not these ones. Uh, and you, I you, love ink, them. you inked a couple of these issues. I inked a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> as no, Dandy Don uh, Simpson? <laughs> I remember getting these as they came out, uh, seeing them on the shelf. I don't think I – there was no internet. I don't think at the time these came out or not much internet. So I think mm-hmm. I remember just catching these on my weekly visit to the comic shop and being like, what's this? This looks cool. And being like, oh, man, this is made for me. I love yeah. this. Somebody who doesn't <laughs> – likes old stuff more than good new stuff. And uh, I was very excited to read it. I've read them a number of times. I have not read them in a long time. I have a six-year-old, so I don't go back and read old comics as much as I used to. So I was excited for the excuse to uh, read them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, – Jamie, Rob, uh, refresh my memory. Who had read this before and who hadn't? Uh, I had uh, similarly. Um, I had already hit that that spot where like Mike Allred became my favorite artist because it was such a throwback kind of style. Um, right around this time when and uh, and I was very familiar with Alan Moore at this point, and this was where I was breaking up with superhero comics in general, moving into the the weird crap from vertigo and uh this this throwback sort of parody thing i loved the tick you know as it came out and this seemed kind of in a similar vein so i was i was pretty excited and i love the all of the 
the fake ads and the the various things that happen in this book or all these books. Yeah. 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 We should talk about the letter pages and stuff later on. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie, was this, this was new to you, right? It was the, the cover of the first issue. I feel like I've seen so many times that I assumed I was at least vaguely familiar with it. You mm-hmm. know, like, like a, like a gone with the wind kind of thing where like, even if you haven't seen gone with the wind, you feel like you get the idea somehow. Right. Right. So that's what I thought I was walking to. But yeah, I've never seen page one. I mean, I guess I had seen page one, but uh, no other content. Yeah, completely, completely fresh eyes. Excellent. Well, I am excited to get everyone's reactions as we're going through this thing. Um, I guess also it might be good to like set a little bit of context for when these came out, too. So these were published in 1993. So it's 30 years after the era that they are referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one year after Image had been founded. Um, so yeah. this is still like super early days of Image Comics. Mm. And and not too far removed from like one of Alan Moore's peak eras, you know, like Watchmen is just uh, eight years before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still very much in the immediate aftermath of the nuclear explosion that was Watchmen. Mm. swamp but, thing and stuff but he like, hadn't really touched superheroes in a while this was before he like came back and did supreme and other things yeah uh way and before, before all this america yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i'm trying to just quickly i probably should have done this beforehand but maybe it's helpful <laughs> to talk about um like what was going on in 1993 at marvel mm-hmm. like where stories were and stuff like that like so it's post to pick something at random uh spider-man 2099 so like Spider Man twenty ninety nine was out in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, when your your cable, but only just I think I feel like yeah. this is the era of like a million X books. Claremont's yeah. gone. They're you know they're trying to recreate. They're trying to regrab the magic of re, you know selling a million variant covers. Uh, they're trying to they're gone public and they're trying to please their stockholders. It we're at the beginning of the bust. I think huh. the yes. beginning of the decline from the speculator boom. So things are about to go downhill, I think, for Marvel. Plus everybody left for image. Everybody left for image. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and if you remember, if you were paying attention to comics at that time too, like, I mean, the knives were out for the image guys, you know, uh, among mainstream comics, but yeah, the Marvel DCs of the world and the, and the creators who were, you know, still staying loyal to them. I mean, I remember like Peter David challenging Todd McFarlane to a debate at San Diego Comic-Con or something. Yeah, it was, it's kind of nuts. But there really was this whole idea of, you know, how dare these upstarts, you know, leave uh, Marvel Comics and and, and create this, this thing um, and be so disrespectful to the industry. Um, There, I think around this time, Eric Larson under, uh, he had withheld his name from the letter, but he had written a letter into the Comics Buyer's Guide saying that basically artists don't need writers um, in comics uh, <laughs> and it really touched off a huge furor. Um, so, you yeah. know, there, there was a lot, I mean, image was very punk rock in the early days. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was yeah, image was less interesting to me at the time. Most of the books I didn't like, mm-hmm. but uh, it was very important. It was more important then than it uh, ever was like Mm-hmm. The fact that it survived is great. But like at that time, it was like some books did like one issue. Some books were like Savage Dragon that came out like clockwork. But I think Marvel was still I weirdly think Marvel was pretty good in, in the early 90s. Like it's like the mid to late 90s when like clone saga stuff kicks in mm-hmm. and like yeah. it gets real bad. But um, 
Yeah, ninety three seems like it's it's circa uh, like Fatal Attractions. So I like, don't know what which what Fatal Attractions is. Oh, that's the big uh, Wolverine the adamantium getting yanked out. Okay. So you've still got you still have holographic covers, I guess. Is, is yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, foils, so we're, we're a year before Marvels comes out, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. I don't know. Yep. There were a lot of books I enjoyed at that time, and and there was a period where I, I kind of like stopped reading almost everything Marvel was putting out mm-hmm. um, because I was like, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, and DC was doing kind of almost early 90s Marvel work at that time. So I just mm-hmm. shifted over there almost completely yep. for my superhero hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 90, that had not quite happened yet. Yeah. 93, yeah. I was uh, graduating high school. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. When I was graduating college, I was out in the world being a man. <laughs> uh, you got you guys wouldn't get it, but I was. Um, <laughs> I was dodging college, I think, uh, in '93. I was uh, 20, so I was out playing in a band. Um, Which is so, like, la- so lame, not cool. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. And making. I no was money. writing for a weekly newspaper. <laughs> I was for a town of 8,000 people. Wow, that's, <laughs> you you reached a lot more people than I did playing in a band. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, so image, you know, they're, they're on the scene there. I mean, there's not a lot of grownups in the company yet. Uh, they hadn't really mastered things like production schedules and shipping books on time and, you know, having a referee to kind of get all the founders to pull in the same direction like that. Yeah, you know, there were I mean, you, you've got, you know, Todd McFarlane, you've got Eric Larson, you've got uh, Rob Liefeld, uh, you got, you know, some pretty big egos, you know, yeah. in, you know, Jim Lee, you know, was, was one of the founders, um, like, so, but it, but it was yeah. less like what it is now where it's like an umbrella for great creative owned work. And it was just like their, their place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. would say they were more, you know, like hair metal than punk rock, but you know, <laughs> wow. just to hit it. Uh, okay. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think gotcha. there was something about the image books and I didn't really read them until later that the the business model was punk rock in that mm. it was in that it was like disrupting the big two's stranglehold, mm-hmm. but the content was kind of like to me like bro comics that I wasn't into. A lot of the art yeah. was beautiful, but I was like I'm not intrigued. Like, um, so, with some exception, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but you know one of the big exceptions is this 1963. They got Alan Moore. They pulled the biggest fish in comics to come work for them. Like, yeah. it's basically like somebody founds a movie studio and they're like, oh, and I got Stanley Kubrick to do a movie for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. They, they landed, a, I mean, not only that. A difficult, yeah. like, auteur who's, like, high quality but a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah the it. fact that he made anything for Image is uh, is a head-scratcher once you know his full career and, and where he's come. And they pulled, like, almost the whole Swamp Thing team. Yeah into this project yeah. uh they had everyone involved yep beset veach uh yeah yeah and, and i mean it's you also have to remember that like early days of image the whole concept of it was creator owned work you know and, and it didn't necessarily pan out that way um once they kind of got going where each of the creators kind of actually wound up having their own little fiefdoms and they would bring in writers and artists to do their books um and they, of course, would not wind up owning the work that they created. So they kind of wound up sort of going back down the whole, you know, Marvel DC path. Um, but I do think that like what Image is now, for example, um, you know, I know that, you know, from comics professionals that we've talked to, they would say that like Image now is closer to 
the ideals that it was founded with, where it's like there actually are legit 100% creator-owned deals uh, at mm-hmm. Image now. I, I think more in Bissett and Veach, you know, and and the other folks who who worked on this stuff. I think part of it was that they wanted to encourage like, like holy shit, these guys just left Marvel, and they're forming this company, and they're committed to creator rights. Like we want to support this. And if your mm. company has been taking a hit saying that, you know, oh, their books are all terribly written. It's like, well, let's get the best writer in comics to come and do something for <laughs> us. You know, I um, can't imagine this sold well, though. I don't I know. It. Like you Alan know? Moore comes in and it's like, oh, is he going to do another Watchmen, something cool and adult and gritty? And it's like, no, the nope. exact opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> At the time when people were the least interested yeah. in like nostalgia, like nostalgia became huge in like the late 90s, mm. right? With with when uh, with Heroes re- Return. But like, yeah. this was not that era. No, no. Yeah, I was wondering who these were for, like, as Me? I was reading them. Yeah. <laughs> they say if you can reach one person. Well, yeah. they, they do foreshadow that whole era, right? Like, this comes out a year before Marvel's, and Marvel's yeah. is a is also a, I mean, it's a much more loving, but it is a kind of looking back at old Marvel comics with a new lens. And yep. then Busick starts doing Astro City, which is like, let's do analogs of lots of the superhero tropes mixed in with a modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, even in Supreme, which is not too long after this, Alan Moore does like a Kirby tribute in the pages of Supreme. Like there starts to be a thing where like creators would revisit early 60s, yeah. mostly mm-hmm. Marvel. But all those some things. Some kind of spin. That's all in the future. This is like early for that. And all those things are, as you said, with a modern spin. Marvel's put this Alex Ross art on it. Supreme had this like meta level to it. And this right. doesn't have too much of that. Mm-hmm. Especially is, like on a surface level. Like if you looked at this on the rack, like I didn't pick it up. It mostly just looks like a pastiche. Old, it just, it just looks like, oh, cool. They're just creating a new Fantastic Four comic. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's and I, something. Well, I guess we'll get into this, but like the ways that maybe. he. <laughs> Maybe we'll get, yeah, who knows? It could be an hour before we get to actual could comics. Be. But yeah. It could be, yeah. So a couple hours from now, we'll get into, um, it. just like reading Astro City, trying to sort of decode 1963 and be mm. like, oh, this is, this is like the Hulk. Oh, this is like the Fantastic Four. None of these are total one-to-one analogs. Like they're all kind of mixtures. But um, a lot of them are largely based on some sort of Marvel thing. I mean, mm. like, you know, the FF. I would say they're pretty close. Yeah, pretty yeah. close. But they all have differences. And so it's interesting sure. to see those differences. And it's like yeah. interesting to like, it's candy for like a, an old school fan to try to like kind of decode that. And um, I, I had a blast reading these books. I mm-hmm. loved it. Although when I got to the text stuff, with the letter column and the the marble <laughs> oh bullpens, I love. I read the first one and loved it. And then when I saw there was equally verbose ones in each issue, I was like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't read all these. These are all, this is so yeah. much. No one's paying me to do this. What is with Alan yeah. Moore that he can't do a comic book without ten thousand words of text? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and it's I, insane. I certainly I, read every text when I got them originally, and I certainly read none of the text this time. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I made myself read. Every word, and I hated it. Uh, I'm also, yeah, I've been reading League of Extraordinary Gentlemen too, all of the, and I'm in book four, and I just keep putting it down. Yeah, because I'm in the travel logs, I'm in uh, just prose pages for 10 pages in a row, and I'm, uh, I'm like, I'm here for the 
the pictures and the words. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the, I, these these letter pages are so he does parodies of the Marvel bullpens, the stand soapbox, and the letters that be in the back of Marvel Comics. And I read the first, I read the ones that are in the back of ish, book one, Mystery mm-hmm. Incorporated, and the, it is hilarious. Like mm-hmm. it note perfect and and an exaggerated version. Like the alliteration is times ten. Yes. You know, <laughs> If Stan would alliterate three words, Alan seems to alliterate like fifteen words in a row. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it is just like it's almost a sestina of like Stan Lee, like an insane literary feat, which is amazing and impressive, but also wordy. You know, right. I was exhausted. Yeah. I took a nap after reading book one. <laughs> I, I seriously went to sleep. I had to. I got to uh-huh. shut my eyes. But yeah. I think that's the issue, right? It's so heightened. They're less readable. Like the stand. Like if I read an old issue and there's a letter page or a bullpen bulletin, pen, bullpen bulletin, I will read that stuff, and it's very readable and very breezy and effortless. Like. If Alan Moore is trying to be Stan Lee, he is failing at the part where it's like, oh, this is almost as much fun as the comic itself. It's so silly and goofy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. He's failing this at the like dense. He's, he's failing at the friendly part. It's like, yeah. what if we combined Stan Lee's salesmanship with, you know, Herman Melville? <laughs> <laughs> That sounds, sounds like <laughs> an Alan Moore move right there. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, like his whole, what what does he call it? It's Al's amphitheater because he's, he's affable Al Moore. Affable yeah. Al, yeah. Yeah, that's, everyone's got a bullpen nickname. Um, the, the bullpen is where most of the parody happens because yeah. like Al, the editor, is referred to, there's references to him stealing credit from yeah. his co-creators, which is, that's that's kind of the meanest jab of early Marvel that happens yeah. in these books. And um, kind of like fake friendships, kind of like clearly uh, disaffected co-workers being portrayed as friends. <laughs> yes. Um, that, you know, that's revealed in these letter columns. Um, I think it's called the sweatshop, the 1963 sweatshop <laughs> yeah. yes. instead of the marble bullpen. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, th- those are those are pretty intense jabs, yeah, re- relatively and, speaking. So, like, encountering those midway, because, like, it, they're not all at the end, right? Like, some of them are, like, kind of midway through the issue, spun the rest of the issue in a different direction for, for me because it is parody and it is, like, not entirely loving parody. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking back on the issues and it sort of kind of reflecting that. And I was like, well, is, is the point of this that the rest of it's a parody too? And that like this stuff isn't actually, they I don't, don't think, think it's so. good. I couldn't tell. I think the comics are done with love and I yeah. think yeah. just okay. the Alan letter pages has the bile. Yeah, Alan Moore loved this era of comics. Okay. There's no doubt about it. I will say when I read it as a kid, I loved it. I thought it was very funny, those sort of jabs. Mm-hmm. I read it now and know that Alan Moore and Steve Bissett had a falling out. Yeah. Maybe with yeah. Rick Vetch as well. And like these guys are all, it's like, it's like Sad. you're making fun of Stan Lee. You have your own issues, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. They're furious that they wanted this. They were hoping this would get collected and make them money. And you won't let them do that. Yeah. yeah. You're a jerk on a different level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a whole thing about like how the final chapter never came out, which we can get to, you know, uh, in a couple hours. In three yeah, hours. A couple That'll hours. Be three yeah, three hours from now. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it is, it, to your point, Jamie, I think it's both. I think obviously this is a sandbox that they're really enjoying playing in. Like they mm-hmm. really love doing a, it's a 1963 style comic, a Marvel comic. Um, and I mean, all these guys were huge fans of this era of Marvel comics. Like 
uh, Rick Veach's son is named Kirby. You know, I mean, <laughs> like he, you know, yeah. he's he's committed to the bit. Uh, right, right. He, he might be a fan of Bruno Kirby. It's uh, oh, that's true. That I've might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's definitely you know, there there's they're having a lot of fun with this. But also, I think you know when you get into you know Alan Moore doing the voice of his Stan Lee stand-in and he's saying the quiet parts out loud. Uh Um, I do think some of this is sort of uh, like, you know, again, keeping in mind the context of when these came out one year after all these artists had just left Marvel because of the conditions that they were working under and they weren't getting fairly compensated for the money they were bringing into the company. You know, I think part of it was Alan saying, well, you know, you can complain about image comics and say, these guys are ungrateful, but, Let's look back at the history of Marvel mm. and what led to this yeah. point, you know. And what we know now, like the letters pages have just references to uh, to creators that we've read all of their stuff now from Marvel, at least. And we know their history, like Bill Everett and Wally Wood and who've, you know, worked for EC prior to that. But uh, some of their stories are like jokingly told. So it's like Al- <laughs> Alan Moore as a historian just thinly veiling these horrible stories of of alcoholism and blindness and yeah. Uh, yeah. uh you know that are really one to one to to some creators that worked at Marvel and that worked with Stan for decades and yeah. uh it, so some of those are just th- th- again they did throw me out a little bit because I know yeah. too much now for it to be just a well, lighthearted romp I know they're a- referring Alan's, to real Alan's genius always has a little uh, devilishness and then sometimes it becomes straight up meanness like yeah. mm-hmm. you know <laughs> N- Neil Gaiman is a sweetheart Kurt Busiek is like happy as Spielberg but Alan Moore has like bile in his work it's part of what makes it fun you know mm-hmm. it's kind of for, it's kind of got some uh, forbiddenness in it and he mm-hmm. goes there where other people don't go there but it's mean and it kind of leaves a bad taste. It's sour sometimes. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's some, yeah. it, it, and taken in large doses, it can be like, come on, Alan. Yeah. Like, like my brother said here, you're causing a lot of these same problems you're, you're, you're pointing at other people for doing. Mm-hmm. Well, one more thing about these letter comms, they also, here's a confusing thing. They function as parodies of old letter columns, but they also are doing the function of promoting the other issues in the series, mm-hmm. right? So just like the old bullpen bulletins or even the, 1980s bullpen Boltons would be like, you know, th- coming out this month for Marvel, right? Like, you know, you're reading Thor, but here's what's happening in Power Pack and FF mm-hmm. and all that. So it'd be like, here's what's happening in the rest of the 1963 line. And he'd promote the other legit issues in this series. A- and he would refer to the current artists and Fantagraphics artists have a shout out in the letter column. So it's like, mm-hmm. wait. What time period is 1960? Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. Yeah. I guess right, it right. doesn't matter, but it did scramble my brain a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So do the readers of this book know that it's 1993? Or yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I guess <laughs> right, it doesn't right. matter. What but. are the rules? Yeah. 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 I have the same issue. The rules are whatever is funniest at I the moment, so, yeah. like in <laughs> yeah. a given moment, not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 I do think one of the. A funniest and meanest jabs that uh, that Moore takes uh, at Stan is when he he's talking about his version of origins of Marvel comics, which, uh, affable Al, uh, the title of his book is how I created everything all by myself and why I am great. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I would read that. <laughs> yeah. I, I did. This was also, I think right around the era, like Frank Miller had started like bringing Jack Kirby to comic con yeah. and being like, this guy deserves more credit than Stan Lee. 
Like that was like the most public version of that. Oh, wow. Um, happening around this time, I believe. It was, yeah, it was, this was maybe a l- little bit after that, but not long after that. I mean, it, yeah. it's all right around the same time. I mean, because it used to be just like the real comic nerds knew about this, sort of knew that Jack Kirby kind of got shafted. I didn't know about it as a kid, really. Yeah. But at mm-hmm. this time, I knew about it because it had become more public very recently. Yeah. Though I think I've Jack, always... Jack dies a year after this. So, I, yeah, this, he, 94 yeah. is when he yeah. passes. Yep. He's um, getting ready to do his cameo on the Bob Newhart show, Bob, around this time. That's right. <laughs> I think it is weird to hate Stan Lee as much as Alan Moore seems to, but love these comics so much, which were a large part, I think, large yeah. part due to Stan Lee. Like, I don't I'm think he a, gives Stan Lee enough credit for that because yeah. uh, it's like you loved this these comics so much. He uh, had to be somewhat responsible. He was he had his fingers in all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading these 63 books for as much as the letter pages make fun of Stan Lee. They just boosted Stan Lee in my mind. I was just mm-hmm. like – I, you know, I'm sure every everybody who's a fan of comics like we are, when you want to go like behind the scenes, goes through a sine wave with Stan Lee where sometimes you're like, uh-huh. he's he's Papa Stan and I love him. And sometimes you're like, what a scumbag, <laughs> stole all the credit. And then like all varieties in between. I'm on a big Stan upswing right now. I'm like, yes, he absolutely allowed people to give him credit. He didn't deserve for sure. He did not help his artists get the money they deserved. Yes, true. But like as a creator, he's underrated. Mm-hmm. Like his per- his personality, Kevin and I have said this all the time in our podcast, is the personality that everybody still uses when they're when they're talking about comic books, you know? Every mm-hmm. single comic book podcast out there has some version of, you know, Mary Marshall, Mary Marching Marvel Society, Nuff said, Excelsior. Right. Nobody, nobody's personality is as huge in the marketing of comics and the bridge between comics and the reader as Stan. There's nobody, nobody's even number two. There's no. Not not a lot of people doing Carmine Infantino riffs. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And his dialogue is fun. Like Alan Moore is doing a pitch perfect Stanley dialogue and all of these issues. And it is a blast. It's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. But also, weirdly, not quite as good. I oh, think yeah, Stan, is better. Stan is a better Stan. And like yep. that's not a shame, but it's like even Alan Moore can't quite – like it's not like if Alan Moore traveled back in time, he could have done just as good as Stan. He probably couldn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe yeah. he would have been good enough that Stan would have given him some books and wouldn't have had to wait for Roy Thomas. Alan, <laughs> right. Moore's, uh, Alan Moore's too smart. It's like the yeah. jokes are too good. Like Stan's uh, a bit cornier. <laughs> yeah. 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 Stan was a man of the people and Alan is – He's aiming a little higher. And I don't mean that doing something that is popular or has mass appeal is necessarily a bad thing. It's just that obviously Moore doesn't want to do that. It bores him or it's not creatively challenging to him. Um, whereas Stan, I think he he really wanted people to love him and love the things that he was involved with. Um, and, yeah. and that's the, the kind of his secret sauce with all the Marvel stuff is like he made the Marvel characters likable. Um, and fun. Yes. Yeah. He so. wanted to do the equivalent of a pop song yeah. uh, every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Alan Moore wants to do, wants to take this medium and s- somehow infuse it with all of literature <laughs> uh, yeah. and concepts that are, you know, mind boggling sometimes. And then, uh, and I mean, I love, I mean, I have everything Alan Moore has done, but it's, uh, it is, I mean, I, and I've read, you know, one of the people who survived reading Jerusalem, his you know, giant. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about that. Yeah. I haven't been able, I haven't been able to read that. 
it took me, it took me about three years of picking it up and putting it down and getting into those like James Joyce and uh, nonsensical parts, but I, I made it and it was worth it, but it, man, it was a, it was its own pilgrimage. Um, so anyway, <laughs> page one. <laughs> so, yeah. so comic books. Well, before you get to page one, I look at the bit above that page. <laughs> All right, so should we dive into these things? We uh, should. We got uh, we got to. Yeah, so so it's a six issue miniseries essentially, and each issue is just now explaining it is what we've been talking about. God, yeah, I know. We're just getting around to that part. Um, put it, we'll put it in our intro. It's all it's all going to edit together beautifully. Um, uh, so it, it it's six issues. Each one is one issue of a different series from this fake publishing company called 1963. Um, and the first one uh, is Mystery Incorporated, which is sort of their riff on uh, the Fantastic Four, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, do you want to maybe just kind of give us the 50,000 foot view um, and uh, and just talk a little bit about who we've got here and, and what they wind up getting up to sure yeah so so basically we, we have analogs for all of the team um all, all of what you're familiar with the fantastic four we get um uh the ben Grimm character uh who's, his analog is biff baker um <laughs> the planet and then uh we get crystal man who is basically mr fantastic instead of stretching he has uh you know he's a crystal form um Neon Queen, who is the Invisible Woman analog, uh, who turns into various gases, <laughs> I think, um, and uh, and then we're uh, we're left with the sort of Human Torch kid, you know, uh, yeah. and and this is uh, I forgot his name already, it's but Tom, kid Tommy Dynamo. Baker, I think. yeah, Kid Dynamo, Tommy Baker, I think, yeah, because he's the planet's younger brother. Yeah, so the difference is it's not Sue and Johnny uh, in their the brother relationship. It's Ben and Johnny, basically, yeah. which is kind of how that that always plays out. They're always like the brothers. Of yeah, the, right, of right. The Fantastic Four. Yeah, I love that it's basically like a Fantastic Four Mad Lib. Like all the proper nouns have been removed, uh, mm. and then right. it's just sort of like yeah, fill in the blanks, but it's basically the structure. I mean, they, they have, they, their headquarters instead of the Baxter building, it's the mystery mile. Um, yeah. Instead of a rocket ship through cosmic rays, it was a rocket ship to an asteroid with alien church that gave them powers. Right. Which is a little too complicated. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but you know, it, I mean, they get these cool powers, but it is like, it's just the, the Kirby Stanley version was very well, simple. Yeah, What's, you got when you're reading an Alan Moore comic, and I'm sure you guys would all agree with this. Is you have to because I'm saying it before I give my point. Um, <laughs> Al, Alan Moore bingo is like a cult religion. Mm-hmm. Bodies being disassembled and putting put back together. Uh, alternate dimension versions of whoever you're looking at. Crazy physics, time paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then like conspiracy politics and yeah. 1963 hits all of these a million times Yeah, yeah. And, and part of it. And, oh yeah. And then also everything's 10% more complicated than it needs to be. So when you try to <laughs> summarize it to somebody else, they're like, like I don't want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as they go along, so they get their, uh, powers, uh, from, yeah, some eldritch gods inside of mystery <laughs> asteroid, uh, they, um, 
they of course decide they're going to sort of fight crime, um, which is the <laughs> a basic. It, it's a good Fantastic Four analog. They don't, uh, you know, they don't really fight uh, crime on the streets. They just happen into weird stuff. Yeah, um, they just sort of challenge yeah. the unknown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we even get a bit with them um, reading their their own fan mail. Um, which is uh, a scene is, like right out of an early Fantastic Four yeah, issue. Very yeah. Marvel, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, including a, a scene where uh, the guy, I already forgot his name again. What the hell's wrong with his kid? Kid Dynamo. The yeah, kid? kid Dynamo. Uh, he's, he's reading a comic, uh, one of the other comics of the 1963 run the, yes. to come. With uh, the same uh, ad in it, too. The, the ashamed of English bit. Yeah. Yes. So I kept yeah. on going through a bunch of them. So yep. they, they went that far and they did this again, just a, a trope in an early Fantastic Four comic to have them refer to another, like he, I think Johnny Storm is reading a Hulk issue or Ben Grimm. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, this is where it gets complicated immediately. We get um, somebody who's coming through a portal, which is, basically like the negative zone portal in the fantastic four, but yeah. walking backwards Out um, and uh, the neon queen sees this and is trying to uh, trying to capture them, but they seem, they just keep going in reverse and they're wearing a bow and arrow. It looks like a weird Hydra costume. <laughs> um, and that is the, that is where our mystery starts for the issue. So, uh, now she's trying to tell everyone that there's this intruder and essentially their version of the Baxter building where all kinds of sciencey stuff is laying all about. Uh, and they they have to to start to work it out, but they kind of ignore her, which is a very fantastic for trope. Too. That's very. Yeah. Very unbrand. Uh, and the, yeah, keep me on um, on point here as I so they <laughs> they start to investigate this. Um. I'm and their head, sh- their headquarters starts like all the defense systems start activating. Uh, I and, mean, yeah, yeah. That that's what, what Rob said is most of the story. Like, kind mm-hmm. of the the garnish around that main entree is the Mystery Mile, aka Baxter Building. All the traps. Like initially, they're doing a defense drill where Biff Baker, the Thing character, attacks the other three, and he has to try or the, he has to try to get through the defenses. Mm-hmm to test and that's just a way of showcasing the cool little traps that are in the mystery mile and then when our backwards walker guy comes out of the negative zone portal which is the maybe machine we see another whole array of traps and stuff uh and it all results with the uh, mystery incorporated folks having to enter the maybe machine to pursue him yes which, which ties into book six Yes, so that's the big cliffhanger because uh, the this mystery figure kidnaps Kid Dynamo, traps him inside of like a a, a gimmick arrow, um, and so they uh, and they they track it to the maybe machine entrance, which is you know again essentially the negative zone portal. Mm, um, it, it, I, I will quibble with that. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, it's actually like a gateway to other possible worlds. Yeah. Uh, which felt like the thing that Hickman brought into the Fantastic Four, and it actually looks similar. And it's mm-hmm. like a, a a viewing portal to alternate oh, realities. Yeah. 
So he was, is with, it is with the negative zone. Off. The negative That's zone just portal. one zone. You only get one zone with that. With the that. Zone <laughs> but I'll say the negative like zone that. existed before 1963 comics, and what you're quoting happens 15 years later. So unless Alan Moore is Dr. Manhattan, he's referring to the negative zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. It I looks just think, like the I, negative zone, the way yeah. it's set up, and even like with the the photo – uh, Kirby-ish, pesh, yeah. uh, like uh, um, oh, yeah. at the last yeah. page is a very Kirby version of the negative zone. Yes, yeah. it ends up leading into an Alan Moore-ish meta world, but um, a right. top ten uh, city. But um, but yeah, it it's definitely their version of the the negative zone. Yeah, which I think I is also probably was... what Hickman was also pulling from. Yeah, yeah. that's what I I was like kind of drawing a, a line. Yeah, so that's I mean basically that's the big cliffhanger. They go into the baby machine. Um, and you know, it, it's basically, uh, to be continued, but it's not going to be continued next issue and spoiler alert, it's never going to be continued. <laughs> um, so don't get too hung up on, uh, getting the answer to that question. But then we get some, uh, some very, you know, early Marvel style pinups, uh, at the back of the book of each of the primary characters, uh, some great fake ads. Um, and so that's the first issue. Um, I like how Biff Baker, the planet, has a catchphrase. Like instead of it's clobbering time, he says, there's a planet coming. <laughs> That's his catchphrase, right? That's what he declares yeah. when yeah, he goes yeah. into battle. Yeah. Which I is think... literally, it's no dumber than it's clobbering time. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, it doesn't right. work as well. Just because one is more familiar doesn't mean it's actually better. Mm. <laughs> All of the ads in these books are so funny and just strange and surreal. All the yeah. all the like parodies of the old comic book ads are mm-hmm. there. This one has got shamed by you English, <laughs> which is like an ad written in broken English targeting people who do not speak English well right? and to teach it better. I don't know what that is a parody of. Yeah, it's I mean, it looks we did a, a bit we, we abandoned it halfway through our last season, but we were doing uh basically saying each of our episodes was sponsored by one of the sponsors uh, from the issues that we were reading. Um, And these are all taken like layout wise, design wise and everything. Like each of these is a specific ad that they are making fun of, um, which is also just great. Like I don't, I can't remember exactly what this one is, but it is sort of like, you know, one of those, you know, learn, learn to speak well or something. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, pick up a new skill at home, that kind of thing. Uh, I love the so-and-so is looking for people who like to draw. That's, that's the original ad that I remember. And then in this one, I think it's in book six, Rick Veitch is looking for people who like to doze. Yeah. Because (laughs) he's he's looking for people who like to sleep and nap and daydream. Because at the time, and I think he still is doing this infrequently. He had a book called rare bit fiends, which was, he would basically just do comics of his dreams. He would keep a dream journal and then do comics based on his dreams. And then people would send in their dreams to him and he would illustrate their dreams. And it's a riff off of a thing that Kirby did like in the fifties called your dreams. So well, Rare Bit is a reference to Little Nemo in Slumberland because yep. Little Nemo has a Rare Bit sandwich and that's what causes him to dream so deeply. Mm-hmm. Whoa, cool. Yeah. And here, All the way back to the, McKay. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, here's the world's – and here. so I'm on this podcast out here called Comedy Bang Bang, which is a comedy podcast, and they're doing a book. I play – and I, often on that podcast, I'll portray Sandman, Morpheus from the comics, blatant ripoff of the comics. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote a piece as Sandman in, for this upcoming book. And I – in that 
piece in the comedy Bang Bang book, the narrator of the story falls asleep and is visited by Sandman. And I have the narrator eat a rare bit sandwich. Whoa. And literally nobody is going to notice that reference. <laughs> um, That's Alan me. Moore level reference. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Even Alan Moore would be like, dude, uh. too subtle, too much. <laughs> Calm it down. Uh, so, okay. So, uh, book two is no one escapes the fury. Uh, Heinz Brothers, one, I think, I think so too. Uh, do you guys want to, uh, to walk us through what, what happens in this one? I do. Kevin. Now I couldn't figure out what character is the fury supposed to be. Sure. Sure. I'm a, hu- I'm a huge uh, Spider-Man fan. Who's uh-huh. this guy supposed to be? Well, well, I don't know why you bring up Spider-Man right now. This guy's clearly <laughs> a Hulk. Uh, <laughs> character. you can tell because of his a full mask covering his face and his, uh, Worrying about his elderly parents. <laughs> his quips, his jumping around. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Very Hulk-like. Super Hulk. Gets called um, kid all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, yeah, this is a Spider-Man homage. Although th- the differences here is this this is a guy called the Fury who is the son of an earlier incarnation of the Fury, his father, who died while fighting evil. And so instead of Peter being guilty about his Uncle Ben's death, he's guilty with his the legacy of his father that he's trying to live up to. His mm. father's dying words were, make sure you keep doing this, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, his dad said, feel guilty forever, and then died. <laughs> right. yeah. Avenge me on all crime. Yeah, yeah. And, and also his mother doesn't want him doing this, so he's doing this secretly. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to honor his dead father and not let his mom know that he's doing this. And so. I think he's in high school, but his mom, just like Aunt May, looks like she's 175 years old. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> Um, just like, but just like Aunt May looks older than an aunt should look an aunt oh, yeah. and a high school student. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when we open on this, the Fury is helping a sort of Nick Fury analog named Sky Solo escort unknown alien cargo X through Manhattan. Uh, and he's just kind of doing it because he's like a good guy and good guys help each other without question at this time in superhero history. Uh, and they're and they are attacked by sort of a bunch of henchmen who kind of look like the master planner gang out of uh, Spider-Man. Kevin. <laughs> they do. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and so he has to kind of th- uh, thwart. He has to protect the cargo being transported. And that ends up with him getting diverted and fighting these guys. And the cargo kind of goes on without him. Um, and I don't remember what happens. I stopped reading. When no, he fights, um, he fights the <laughs> vo- Voidoid. Who is like oh, some yeah. sort of weird uh, uh, white mass? And while he's doing this, the shield analogs uh, thaw the cargo X, which releases a super smart dinosaur. <laughs> so the dinosaur and Voidoid all fight Fury, and he has to sort of deal with all of them, and he's very outmatched. Yep. And th- and this the art here is very Ditko ish. Oh, it's really like a Mike Allred ish version of Ditko, mm-hmm. even though Allred's not involved. And the the voidoid, who is just like Kevin said, like a white kind of shadow. Uh, Ditko had a character like this in his self published books, like yes, a, some kind of nothing man. It looked a lot like this. Huh. Voidoid is also a name of uh, a punk rock group from the late seventies, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And I feel like Alan Moore really dug that kind of stuff, so I feel like he just probably liked the word. This was voidoid. supposed to be the Void, I think, and they had to change the name. Okay. Yeah. So like again like I I if this is, I I struggled with this so much like if this is a take on the original stuff like this seems like a step beyond like this isn't just it doesn't feel just referential 
back, this seems like Alan Moore stuff. Like yes. kind of starting to leak in through the cracks of the mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Of the, I mean, that's yeah. also true for Mystery Mile, which gets too sciencey for a, a Kirby Lee story. Yeah, like, I guess that's th- true. their science. Their science like peaks at rockets, and his science <laughs> yeah. like time warps when you get closer to a, a gravity well or whatever. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do, definitely. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's all it, too complicated, and it and it suffers for it. Like this is not as fun as a Ditko. Lee Spider-Man story because it's just a bit too much though it is I think very very fun it was my favorite of these do you think that's because he's like he feels Alan Moore feels constrained by like trying to do this very old approach to it like or I think he just can't help himself. Like it's he just him, enthusiasm. Yeah. Like okay. Alan Moore cannot mention a government figure without saying, <laughs> without mentioning four conspiracies. That, <laughs> right, you know, right. Minimum. Um, yeah, he. I mean, what book has he ever done where he hasn't like worked in twelve plot lines in the space of one plot line? I did. It's yeah. just like uh-huh. he, he would get bored of this comic if there wasn't more going on. Right. Yeah. Even his his very earliest stuff that he did for Marvel when he was doing Captain Britain. Uh, in the UK. Like, I mean, that's where the whole idea of the Marvel universe being earth 616 came from. Right. 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 So it's like, he couldn't even do a captain Britain comic without like completely reinventing <laughs> the fundamental the structure right. of the universe. And this are like <laughs> number of stories. The yeah. They're like eight page stories that read like 22 page stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you read them and you're like, that was a full issue. Page seven. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 And Alan also is not happy enough just to do like alternate universes coming into play. Cause in comics, you have alternate universes, you have Earth 2. We, as comic book readers, we don't need a lot of explanation for just like, here's an alternate universe Spider Man. But mm-hmm. Alan will get into the pseudo physics of it for like two panels of a speech balloon the size of Miami, <laughs> where it's just like, ah, oh, you see, like Einstein theorized that an intense gravity wave could bend light. And we, <laughs> if you apply that to a clock, imagine. Imagine the minute hand of a clock coming forward off the. It's like, dude, just bring in alternate yeah, we, universe. It's good. I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Right. The so, in two words. Uh, so two notes. Like Voidoid also, the way he can't be hit and the way he can sort of split himself is all very Sandman. Uh, yes. Like. Yes. So there, that seems very you know Ditko analog too. And then there's, um, just overall though some of this like some of the the multiple complex plot lines remind me so much of early Roy Thomas stuff. Like everything Mm. we read in X-Men or something was like, dude, just stop with two of these ideas. Don't try to put 12 in here. So I I don't, I mean, I don't think this is exactly what Alan Moore is doing. I think it's just, again, he can't help, but put in too many plot devices and yeah yeah and and i think an element of it too is like well if this is the one chance i'm going to get to do my spider-man pastiche i want to put these 12 things in (laughs) right so you also get all the fun stuff that a spider-man comic has like spider-man has to call his aunt during the fight he has to like defeat the dinosaur like with science knowledge not just like outpowering it like you get all these sort of fun things that like would be true of a of a classic tropey he, Spider-Man story. He almost yes. quits being the Fury and then re re um uh, yeah, re-ups his right. promise to the cause <laughs> yes. like within three panels. That's a very yeah. spidey. There, there's thing. somebody right who, the secret identity of Voidoid. You don't see the person's face, which is very Ditko-ish. Very Ditko. Very Green Goblin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's and also Alan Moore is planting seeds for the eventual tie-up story, which ends up never being written. But like mm-hmm. the weapons, Voidoid has a, has gotten a hand hold of some 
very powerful weapons. And when he puts them on his translucent self, the Fury is able to punch those weapons. And that's how the Fury is able to begin taking the Voidoid out. Mm -hmm. But those weapons come into play. They are referenced in the sixth issue. Book, book six, the Avengers ish issue. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, this, I mean, it's just a really dense book, but this was my favorite. I, I adored this issue. Uh, I, I, I loved reading, all six books, but this was my – I would read more Fury. When I was yeah. reading these, these first two were so good, and I don't feel like the next four are as good, but I remember being I like, agree. those first two were so good. I will buy a hundred more of them just in case <laughs> one of them <laughs> is a, that yeah. good. That's how much I enjoyed the Fury and Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, for sure. Do You, like, you that, hooked me for the season. Is that uh, considered – Like, does everybody think that? I mean – I don't know. I would what, think which so. Which are favorite characters? Yeah, because like, I really liked Miss, the the first one. I thought that was. I mean, like, mm -hmm. it also makes sense that these are aping the Marvel books, and those were the two best Marvel books of this era. Like yeah. Thor was like weak at this point, right? Yep. Like mm -hmm. right, Thor had not found itself, and this Thor is not that. I don't think that he was going for that, but like that happens for sure. Yeah, the Avengers was not good at this time, and. This Avengers story, it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's it fun to see similar. these characters all working together. Yes, but I agree. It's very parallel. I kind of the wish actual... there was a Hulk. Yeah. The oh. Hulk story is pretty good. That's maybe my third favorite, and Hulk was probably the third most exciting character. Yeah, pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, yep. Anyway, yeah. So I don't know if that's what everyone thinks. I'm sure there's mm -hmm. some people that loved Horace, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are some real aspects, Horace fans out there. There's an <laughs> aspect of every book that I love. Like I was just impressed at. I, Horace was my least favorite of the issues. Yeah. However, I was impressed at how well he aped the grandeur of the Thor issues and like yeah. mm -hmm. the, you know, the presence of these Egyptian gods and how crazy it was how in Thor you would have like Odin as a character and here you've got like Osiris as a character. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. the, the majesty of it and the scope of it. That is well replicated here, and I enjoyed that. But I, I kind of my eyes glazed over. I just couldn't keep track of all the myths that were being referenced. Yeah, it's too dense. It suffers book. from like excessive uh, density be uh, because mm. because we're covering this stuff too fast. Um, a quick digression. And uh, you guys have now you guys have read a lot of stuff. I'm curious w mm. when Thor gets good. I've always heard that the Thor comic gets really fun at some point, but I've never gotten through like the first handful of issues of the uh, Thor. So when does Thor? get kicked up to be like the third best Marvel early title? Or do you not agree with that sentiment? Uh, I mean, I think there's a period where it's good. It, it's in that sweet spot where Jack Kirby was still with the company and yes. hadn't had his heart broken yet. So I would say like, you know, probably between like, I don't know, around the time that like Galactus shows up in Fantastic Four, Thor is on a pretty good run at that point. Okay. Um, and then... You know, in like late 67, early 68, that's where, you know, like the the Village Voice article has come out where makes Stan look like the genius who's doing everything at Marvel and, you know, makes Jack look like just an art schlub. Um, and that's really kind of the breaking point for him. And then it's just sort of like, OK, fine, Man Gog's coming back again. You know, yeah. and he just like clearly doesn't care. I want to read those great Thor comic, those great yeah. Thor Kirby comics rather. Uh, just because yeah. I, uh, when Thor is good, he's really good. But like when he's bad, yeah. he's a bore. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. honestly, like my, I, I did not really love Thor until Simonson started writing him. Like, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, love those, great those run, Simonson yeah. books are so good. They're yeah. so fun. Yeah. yeah. Same Thor. Uh, I think the, with some of the tales of Asgard pieces were mm. were 
uh, spicing it up. And then there are runs in, in that run you were talking about where he, there's just n- almost no Don Blake and it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. So, uh, cause lame Dr. Blake, well, she's, uh, yeah. it was Definitely. just, I, I got to read those someday. I got to yeah. read those good ones. The story where, uh, the wrecker first shows up and kills Thor, uh, like, oh, yeah. like flat oh. out kills him. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and Hela first shows up. Um, like Hela that's, is a, that's awesome. a pretty good story. Yeah, Hela, yeah. Any, Hela's terrific. any Hela yeah. story is consistently good. Like her yeah. characterization is like it's there from the beginning. I think. Yeah. Cool. Actually, right. like the, the first the first dozen or so John Buscema issues after Kirby leaves the book are actually really good too. Oh, so. that's good. All right. Yep. Well, yeah. Good. Go. Okay. Now we can go back to talking about 1963. I'm glad I slowed <laughs> it down a bit. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 we were, we were too going fast. too fast. We we're just yeah. tearing through. Right. Um, going back to Mystery Incorporated. Page one. I'd like uh, to go back to the letters pages. Uh, <laughs> should we go some into stuff book? to relitigate here. Should we do uh, book three? Yeah, book three, Tales of the Uncanny. Um, so this is, uh, it's a riff on Marvel's split books of the time. Um, and this one is a, a parody or a tribute, depending on your perspective, of Tales of Suspense, which is the Captain America Iron Man split book. Um, and so the first story stars uh, USA, the ultimate special agent. Um, and the second... Uh, stars Hypernaut, who is kind of like I, I, I would say like a cosmic Iron Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Kind of Doctor Strange at the same time. Um, it's, I know like we have Steve, another. it's almost like if Steve Ditko did Iron Man is what yeah. I think. Like, yeah. Um, it, it was Which, yeah. my, maybe my favorite character because uh, it's so bizarre. That I mean, that I, story is so bizarre. It, it makes sense he'd take the biggest departure with, at that time, Iron Man's sort of a lame character. Pre mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr., he's not interesting yet. And yeah. So yeah. Like, they just like, oh, let's, he's a guy in armor. Let's move. Let's take that and well, nothing the, else. The USA story is the most Alan Moore story of any of these because <laughs> it is just straight up a JFK conspiracy. As soon as I saw that yes. it was about the JFK assassination, I was like, Alan Moore is letting <laughs> loose. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if in Marvel Comics, Captain America saved JFK? Stanley's <laughs> <laughs> like, and our universe, he's alive. <laughs> it, it, it would be funny if in an alternate, like at 1970, when like Kirby is leaving and like Marvel's going through its or whatever year you would say, like when it's going through its do- first doldrum after the initial explosion of creativity, whatever year you would say that is, late 60s. Mm-hmm. If Stan Lee was like, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to go hard on political issues. <laughs> and like the watcher stops the Vietnam War. And like, right, right. Kent State, you know, Captain America sues the government <laughs> on behalf of the victims <laughs> of Kent State. Uh, Doctor Strange, you know, spikes the Hudson River with LSD or something like that. And they just a hundred percent go that way. It would be like, and I don't know. I would be curious to go into that universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, into that universe where those comic books are published. By the yes, way. right, right, right. Yeah, the uh, this this one um, it's absolutely super Alan Moore. I mean, the gist of it is that uh, there's a Lee Harvey Oswald character who's actually an alien in disguise who's there to save JFK from an assassination <laughs> attempt. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and I think the villain of the story is maybe the most grotesque thing in this entire series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. he's, he's a, a diminutive communist agent, uh, who's made up entirely of brain matter called the red brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, which makes him super intelligent. Uh, but also because he's 100% brain, uh, he's Squishy very vulnerable to getting punched he's very <laughs> and, yeah. and looks like either a walking rectum or cock and balls, depending on what <laughs> it's angle. It's so yeah. gross. It's very yeah. gross. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, hemorrhoid yeah. might be a cool name for him. Um, yeah, and, and, and Rick Feach draws this one, and, and Veach's art is, like, he could do some really grotesque stuff. I really like Rick Veach, but, I mean, some of his Swamp Thing stuff, and, and especially stuff that came later, was just, like, really out there. And then, you know, Don Simpson is doing the inks, and um, in addition to doing Megaton Man, Don Simpson also uh, had a, a little side career uh, doing porn comics for Fantagraphics. So, oh, huh. uh, there you go. So track down a copy of Forbidden Frankenstein if that's your thing. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah, basically this this comic book says what if uh, JFK was saved through a conspiracy that's even more complicated than what people think the actual JFK conspiracy <laughs> yes. is? Right, right. Like two Lee Harvey Oswalds, a a Jack Ruby analog who is somehow a dupe of, I couldn't, I couldn't keep track of it. Like I did oh, yeah. not know what was going on in this issue. Yeah. That said, what a tremendous splash page. I love this splash page. Yes. Oh, it, is, it is hilarious. It is the most Alan Moore of all the splash pages. Yeah. Captain America taking off his fake JFK mask with bullet holes on his bulletproof uniform, having just stopped the assassination of JFK. A, uh, Incredible, and then and then Lee Harvey Oswald with his gun leaning out the window of the book depository. Oh, the shadow, yeah, the silhouette in the background. Yep. Yeah, yeah, incredible. It's, it's tremendous. And so this was actually, uh, in addition to the the 1963 annual that wound up never coming out, there was going to be another like 200 page, either a single book or or short series. Um, done by a completely different creative team that was going to be called 1963 and a half. And it was going to basically take this story and blow it out like huh. to a full. Oh, that gets uh, referenced in here. I, th I thought that was yes. just made up. That was a no, real thing. Interesting. Yeah, that was a real thing that was being teased. Yeah. And it, it, it never happened. But um, like so many things uh, with 1963. But um, but yeah, so so there's there's your your Captain America story. Um, and then Hypernaut. Um, I, I I think I might be with Will here. I, I think this is maybe my favorite character. Um, He's second it, to me behind the Fury, but I love this story. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I love the the artwork on it too. Chester Brown does the inks on it. Um, oh like really? Legendary, yeah, indie so comics artist. Yeah, yeah. So you know the guy who did um, you know uh, the, the Playboy Ed, and I never liked you and um, and the Happy I mean, Clown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's his. I love his stuff. I never liked you. Is one of um my favorite indie books. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it and really it's is. so good and weird and strange. And he seems like a legit strange man. Yeah, uh, I love that he's. I didn't know. I didn't realize that was him doing inks on this. Yeah, yeah, inking over Bissette. So, um, yeah, and and so like, how do we? I guess to describe uh, <laughs> Hypernaut. So he's he's a sphere. His consciousness lives in a sphere uh, that he can. And that's like the head of a robot body, and he can keep moving that thing to other robot bodies. Uh, and for you know, like the way Iron Man has a bunch of different suits, uh, and then his face is projected on his chest like an Arnim Zola mm -hmm. type thing. Um, oh, and his head, the the orb is like a little too small. Yes, <laughs> it makes his body look big. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It was a nice visual effect. Yeah, and and there's all sorts of like really you know, trippy, uh, visuals in this, like the, uh, the space station he lives in is like a, a weird, like MC Escher, yeah. like optical illusion kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, it, uh, he is being pursued in this one in his, uh, spaceship, uh, by a, basically an alien conqueror who lives in the fourth dimension. Um, 
and uh, is is stalking him through the third dimension. This is another Alan Moore trope. Oh, very yes. much. Oh, okay. yeah. Is like, uh, you know, what does you know, how, how does the third dimension experience four dimensions? Um, and so, it's it, there's all sorts of stuff like he can, uh, like he he can manipulate the actual physical panels of the comic uh, in order to uh, to attack the hypernaut. Oh, right, he's reaching through uh, through panels and through walls because he's above, in, uh, dimensionally speaking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's also like a, a riff on Flatland, um, right. like that the classic book about. You know the the uh, two dimensional two dimensional creatures experiencing a third dimensional creature, um, right? Which happens in this as well because he's got a two dimensional land that he flies through, which is a fun way to explain the concept to us. Yes, exactly. And it and it is called Flatland. Like it looks like a piece of you yeah. know pop art, uh, right, on his yeah. wall, and it's <laughs> that is the the dim, that is the Flatland. So as he passes through it, it gives him the idea of how uh, he's experiencing this. Really, it's so hard to describe that the villain. It, it looks like uh, looks like a, a bunch of calamari. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, like there, flesh there also is an M.C. Escher drawing, which is similar to this, where there is like a creature who is drawn with like a spiraling piece of paper. Yeah, right? like yeah. like as if you took a streamer roll and like threw it in the air, and it like described the shape of a snowman. There's some N.C. Escher drawing like that, and that's what this guy kind of looks like. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a disassembled person because parts of them are in the fourth dimension and parts of them, only parts of them are visible in our dimension. Yeah. And you've got the nice contrast of like flesh, essentially flesh monster versus like robot thing. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But this yeah, also this... felt like the furthest away from the source. I... Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? totally. This would not fit in at all. In, in an Iron Man Marvel. It's sort of a Doctor Strange. That'd be the closest you would see something mm-hmm. like this, but there really is none. You're you're right. What does, yeah, uh, it, what's with Queep Queep? Queep Queep? Queep. <laughs> just Queep. Yeah, this, yeah. this feels like a pre-Marvel thing where there's some That's kind a DC of like, thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a Saturday like morning a, cartoon. Green Lantern had like a little starfish sidekick for a while. This is like a thing from that era, which might actually might be about the same time. But it's DC, which was kind of five years behind. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, talent wise, not talent wise, but the style wise, like yeah. they were still doing weird stuff like this. Yeah, creep yeah. looks like uh, a tinier version of like Beast Boy or something, and uh, with two face. I mean, creep is disturbing too. It's like a squir- pink squirrel monkey with pointed ears and two faces, like a you know, three eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two faces, yeah, a- uh, like a conjoined <laughs> uh, twin uh, face. Yeah. It's very weird. It's like it should be cute, but it's also horrifying. <laughs> right. But it's still cute. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. well put. Um, That's yeah. Alan Moore. Yep. And uh, and the, anyway, they defeat this thing by uh, the hypernaut. Like basically, downloads a bunch of information into its brain and blows it up. So. <laughs> it makes it have to <laughs> think think yeah. of things of in our three D world. Uh, yes. And, yeah. Yep. Right, because he was able to like almost physically put the thoughts inside because of how dimensions work or something right, along those right. lines. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, some, it's like some Christopher Nolan Inception logic where it <laughs> doesn't actually make sense, but it makes enough sense for our plot to move Right, along. right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We've only got 12 pages, kid. Um, <laughs> oh, and then at the yeah. end, they he like uh, his body is destroyed, right? So he gets mm-hmm. to transfer the orb to like another body and he like picks, picks which one he liked best. Yeah. And Queep is uh, very disturbed because Queep only says Queep and runs around <laughs> like a pet. You know? yeah. He's like and a then, Rick and Morty character. The Queep, oh, yeah, Queep, Queep. totally. 
And then the the back cover, uh, I think, is my favorite ad of the entire uh, series. The monster size commies. Um, uh, <laughs> it's got a giant like zombie. Stalin. Yeah, Stalin uh, that you can. Uh, it's six feet tall and only a dollar. Um, so, hey, you can't beat a value like that. It's also pretty, pretty crotchy if, if you had to <laughs> describe the positions <laughs> going on there. That's Frank, a very Frankenstein. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, who wants to take a crack at uh, Tales from Beyond, our, our fourth book in the series? Oh, this one I've was, already done one, so yeah, this is this is fun. I'll I'll try, but I will I will need help. Okay. <laughs> oh wait, no, I I wanted the second half. Shoot. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do. It. Right, I'll do right. it. I'll do, do End Man. I love it. I love the Hulk. Uh, End Man is the Hulk analog, more or less. He is a big red lobster dude. <laughs> Um, who is angry and strong and faces things with his fists, but he's got a scientific mind a little bit. He's kind of smart and knows science, uh, and he's but he still wears torn jean shorts, so he's got his uh, Hulk uh, homage like right around his waist. Well, he's smart uh, enough to know what looks good. That's what, yeah, that's, yeah. what that's about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he is journeying into the shimmering zone, which is uh, kind of like something out of that. Um, What's it? Was it a Jennifer Lawrence film? No, uh, Scarlett. Oh. What was that? Mill oh, Annihilation. Oh, oh. Yeah, Annihilation. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Portman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it sort of feels like the Annihilation world. Um, but yeah, it is. Theoretically, my cat just came in the room and scared me. Um, <laughs> the door creaked slowly, um, especially after so, an yeah. Annihilation reference. <laughs> yeah, you're co- you're in the shimmering zone now. End <laughs> uh, Man is going into the shimmering zone because they uh, detected, I think, some commies in there. And so he's going in to see what they're investigating so that he can find it first. And the shimmering zone, I guess, is this sort of like it's sort of like a gamma irradiated area, but instead sure. of gamma, yeah. it's mm-hmm. shimmering. Um, and it's also like a black hole in the middle, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's its own little world, uh, which is a cool, like, little Marvel-ish concept. Um, it's kind of like, you know, the Savage Land and all those other negative zone and all these other little things. Anyway, he goes in here and he fights the, the I forget this character's name, the communist co- cockroach. Com- comrade, comrade Cockroach. cockroach. Yeah. Comrade Cockroach. Comrade Cockroach. Yeah, Grigor Kokorovich. Right. <laughs> Yes, not a kid called cockroach. Doesn't like it. Doesn't see what. Doesn't see the connection. Um, and he's a character who stole, copied the process that created End Man, but did it worse. But he claims better, and right. that's how he got his. Sort of abilities. like the leader. Sort of like uh, abomination. Uh, abomination. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of got a Spider-Man feel to him too, though. But yeah, so they're in this sort of world, and, and like they're like racing to the center to to solve it. But End Man realizes pretty quickly that. If they go to the center, they will die. Um, and Comrade Cockroach doesn't believe him, thinks he's trying to trick him out of discovering whatever power source is at the center of this. Um, uh, and Endman can't quite save him. Physics gets warped. Uh, Endman comes out to see, you know, the general and the general's daughter. Uh, and, you know, all is said and good. I, this is a simple story for, mm-hmm. for Alan Moore, uh, yes. meaning it's very complicated. But the, the basic <laughs> steps are kind of simple. But what happens? The world itself is complicated, but uh, the the plot is simple. Yeah. The, um, the, the plunging into the black hole in the middle of the shimmering zone is very reminiscent of this man, this monster yeah. to me, where everything's being sucked into the center. Yep. Yeah. Except the, whatever Lord oh. leans into the real physics of it with like, it seems like you're right next to me, and I can't touch you, and all right. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Even uh, also, more than Stanley. Oh, the scale There's, got weird, right? Like it seemed like yeah. he was far away, but he was close or close and far away. And yeah. Yeah. 
I also think that Alan Moore is a bit more of a DC head than a Marvel head. I mean, Kevin was just saying how the Queep character from last issue is a is a DC thing. When Endman gets stuck in the glass lake, and they go, uh, and then Comrade Cockroach does the little speech about how glass is a liquid, but just one that moves slowly. And mm-hmm. that's why window panes are thicker at the bottom. I was like, that reminds me of the kind of science lessons that would be in the atom or green lantern. Like yeah. Stan Lee never, never really had the facts down to do that. But occasionally in a DC comic, you would get a lesson on like the levels of the atmosphere or something like that. Absolutely. It, it absolutely is like a flash fact. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Also, does um, does Endman look like Hellboy, or is that just because it looks he like definitely a looks like Hellboy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Endman's cool. I like him. He's simple and fun, and and I mean, I like the Hulk. I like I like a Endman. I like a Hulk that talks. I like a verbal Hulk. So I like Endman basically. Yeah, it's it's smart <laughs> Hulk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the art is interesting because it's like it's not. It's, I don't know, maybe it is. It's like a little closer to the the Herb Trimpy approach. Mm-hmm. But the, like the yeah. inks are so heavy. I don't think yeah. I've ever said that before. Yeah, the inks are very, very heavy. Um, in a way that I hadn't I don't think I've really seen before. Yeah. I mean, the Steve Bissett drawn issues are all my favorite, and this is one of those, like uh artistically. And so yeah. he, he I mean he he's great in here, and the inks I think do a great job. Yeah, and, and here he's being uh, reunited with uh John Toddlebin, uh who was his inker on Swamp Thing. So mm-hmm. yep. So it's like this is literally the Swamp Thing team doing oh, a interesting a, a 12 page Hulk riff, uh, which is kind of hilarious. Oh, and you even get uh, Ross and his daughter at the end. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. Betty, Ross and Betty. Yep. Uh, Jamie, are you ready to take us through Johnny Beyond? Yeah. I, th- I think this one might have been my favorite. Um, so the the splash page is like uh, this guy looking at a, like a, at a place building in an urban environment. You know, it looks kind of like a haunted mansion. He says, uh, am I going crazy or is my whole pad finally flipped? Um, so th- the deal is this guy speaks in like a dense slang. Yeah. I mean, it super is super beatnicky. Yeah. But like he's beatnicking more beatnik than anyone has ever beatnicked before. I mean, it, <laughs> it, they're really leaning into it. Uh, and he bumps into a woman who's uh, trying to, I don't remember, head something. She's like looking for a laundromat. Um it, she's it seems she's bar. looking for a hip restaurant called Call the Laundry, the laundry Mat. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, I it seemed to me pretty clear right away that she's like from the eighties, right? Ninety three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, she's from ninety three. I think she's from yeah. the the um era that this book's being published in. Uh, yes. Okay. Oh, she's the modern era, right? There's so yeah. many layers because we're reading this so many years after yes, all yes. Of the time periods. <laughs> yeah. involved. Yeah, so yeah. this this is the second connection to what was going to be in the annual. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're from two different time periods. They can't find where they're going. Um, they head back to her place, which is in the same building as his place. It's just like down the hall, uh, in the apartment building. Um, and she has like, uh, DVDs and like modern technology and they bump into where he bumps into a version of him in the future, but they don't have like memories of each other. So that the timelines aren't connected. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then the house kind of does this like flash Rubik'sy cube thing, <laughs> or that—that's what I was thinking of it. Like just kind of bits of it are displaced into other places. Um, and then they um, head over to his apartment. What's his name? John? John? Johnny, Johnny Beyond. Beyond. Johnny Beyond. Johnny Beyond. That's <laughs> so great. Uh, and they talk to the the version of the ancient one, which is like a floating head in a in a jar or a, a what you call it a 
oracle kind of ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's yeah, what there's like time well, after they run into Lincoln Lips, his saxophone playing roommate or neighbor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an odd like in, in the in the Johnny Beyond um, timeline. Uh, it's like a real beatnik building. Everybody in it is like a hep cat of one variety or another. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, yeah. and his friend, I think, is the only black character we meet in the entire six issue run, also which is also accurate to 1963. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And there is but, like there's an Al's Amphitheater, you know, stand soapbox uh, thing. I think it's the first one he does where he's 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 doing sort of this like like mealy mouth peon to. Uh, to brotherhood, brotherhood, like in the most generic way possible. <laughs> yeah. And he right. talks about having, you know, you may have noticed that one of our characters is an inoffensively shaded color of gray or something like that. And it's like, and this is who he's talking about. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty on the nose for those early Marvel comics. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Toothless. Yep. Um, so yeah, the Johnny's trying to get um, them back to their proper time and place. And but they in the hallway, so the building's starting to warp. So all the lines are getting all kooky and all the ad- angles are kind of Dutch. Um, and he bumps into the older alternate future version of himself who hates him because um, he's kind of like a ponytail uh, sort of yuppie character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they duke it out a little bit. And then it gets super dicko-y and we get like open <laughs> mouths with laser beam roads. And yeah, if there's any question about whether this is a Doctor Strange riff, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that page basically takes care of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very, very trippy. Uh, yeah. um, so the two of them have to like kind of come together in the face of dimensional shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they well, then he's Johnny Beyond is able to get everybody back to their normal time except for himself. He ends up kind of in a limbo between all times, and that's like the cliffhanger. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. He's in this other uh, extra dimensional space. Of, yeah. The, the Johnny's got switched, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We get old old John Behan in uh, <laughs> in 1963, and <laughs> the other one is is either missing, yeah, or in limbo. Yep. Yeah. This felt like the most Marvel comic-y thing. Uh, it the was, most Didco one. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. And and Jim Valentino draws it, yeah, who is a founding member of Image Comics. And he was the the person who got Alan Moore on board to do something for Image. So, oh. um, so this is kind of, you know, he had a chance to do one of the stories in here, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and then uh, the back cover of this uh, issue uh, invites you. It's an ad that invites you to enter the wonderful world of amazing live soil monkeys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, and it's it's a great you know parody of the old sea monkeys ads, um, and uh, makes it clear that you know uh, the illustrations are a barefaced lie and do not in any way represent actual soil monkeys. <laughs> um, and when you read it closely enough, you realize that all these are are beans um <laughs> that you can grow bean stalks yeah, you get uh, pot of dirt registered yeah. trademark uh included <laughs> so yeah uh um, good times all right we got uh horace lord of light um rob do you want to do this one i'll do my best i'll fall apart again because uh i'm I, it, I get in the weeds and confused very quickly because we're talking about Alan Moore comic books. Well, it should, should be easy. This is just a Thor parody with 15,000 Egyptian gods. Right. There, we're done. Uh, no, so it's uh, 
Yeah, we we it is very much if what if Thor and and the Asgard depiction of of the sixties Thor comics was instead Egyptian. Uh, mm-hmm, the, right. So uh, Horus is uh, the son of Ra, and uh, so Ra is our Odin stand-in. We begin with a big splash page. It's pretty cool of um, Horus fighting just this big, weird Kirby-like toad monster mm-hmm. um, who is termagant because termagant refers to termagant all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he defeats him. Uh, the police have to sedate him to go put him in whatever you know supervillain pen they have, and the the we get it's just a really unflattering. Irish uh, New York <laughs> police officer. Uh, again, a lot of he's doing the Bagoras and uh, mm. we get a it's it's again a nice parody reference to early Marvel comics. Uh, we find out um, Horus is a instructor of uh, archaeology or ancient Egyptian lore at Midtown College. So that this is a nice, you know, uh, a nice riff uh of, of a number of things, but I, I feel like Horus kind of touches on a, a few characters, but of course this, the Pantheon is you know, a big reference to Thor. Yeah. His secret identity is kind of Hawkman-y, you know, his, his superhero character is obviously Thor, but he's got sort of a, a like a Jane Foster, Don Blake dynamic with his, uh, one of his students. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he hits his um, staff on the floor to make a transformation, but has to do a full, Green Lantern speech to yep. uh, to attain yeah. that transformation, uh, and to Professor Falcon is his <laughs> his uh, <laughs> secret identity. Not Captain Falcon; they're not related. <laughs> right, right, no yeah. relation. Yeah, but he has to do. If I'll, I'll just read that really quick. Let the hawk of heaven pause, fold his wings, and sheathe his claws. Let his beak no longer gape beneath the hood of mortal shape. So he has two different things he has to remember. That's how he transforms <laughs> back to human. He has to do another speech to transform back to Horus. Yep. Um, he's a fairly fairly smug uh, professor. Um, <laughs> he uh, And he has this student that's um, obviously into him, into Egyptian mythology, really worried about doing her paper. Uh, she uh, ends up sort of... Uh, just happening on him as he is called back to the basically the Asgard of this of the Egyptian pantheon and uh, but doesn't see him make his transformation before this dimensional gate opens, um, which is, uh, you know, again, it's Alan Moore stuff. So he's outside <laughs> of the college hiding. He does his transformation um, and his uh, this this barge of a of a million years opens a dimensional gate for him to board it but uh the the student which we probably could name um janet so janet janet uh <laughs> follows him onto this uh barge secretly it's a barge that no human being is supposed to ever set foot on so it's a yeah. huge affront to their uh to their, you know, whole culture. Yeah. And um, this is, this is Ra's daily journey. He, Ra being the embodiment of the sun. So, uh, he, he has to, to go on this ride every night so that the sun can come up again the next day. And it's yeah. Horace's job to defend him against all dangers, uh, when he's helpless. So it's basically, he's in his Odin sleep. 
Mm, yeah, nice. every every day he goes into a note and sleep. I mean, every evening. But yeah. uh, mm-hmm. also, there's all kinds of crazy crap here. So yeah, yeah, the, you can the, you can fast forward through some of the crazy. Yeah, crap. yeah. The, the, <laughs> basically, every every hour of night, they have to face a different Egyptian sort of villain, and that either Janet or Horus has to defeat. Yeah. Um, as they kind of, and so the night is like a just a parade of beasts, and of it, and boss it is very Kirby. Yeah. It's super Kirby and the structure is good. Like that's the right structure for this. It just is condensed to the point of like incomprehensible. This boat is featured in the Disney plus Moon Knight series. Episode four. Yeah. I feel like Uh, like Alan Moore is doing a good job of saying what would superheroes focus on if they were going to invoke Egyptian myths. He's, He's, I mean, he's good, Alan Moore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like they, they, <laughs> I thought of this every time. I mean, every page of this just kept reminding me of that Moon Knight episode. Uh, yeah. So uh, I feel, I, I think it might have been slightly lifted from this bizarre parody that <laughs> <laughs> Alan Moore made. So uh, yeah, finally, basically they keep the barge um, on, despite all of these boss fights, uh, they get it back to where it, it needs to dock temporarily before uh, so day can the the day crew can get on and head back through. Um, we also yeah there's so many ins and outs and complications about this, yeah. but uh, we end up with uh, a one of the older gods than Ra being awakened deep in the in the hours of the night, who basically just in a very Kirby uh, kind of style, just resets things. Like says, okay, mm. you know what? The the big bad is about to get you, but nah, we're just, I'm going to knock them down and just put you back where you need to be. Everything's solved. Uh, yep. So you get the deus ex machina in the pantheon of gods. Uh, it's right. so Kirby. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, what else? What else am I missing here? Um, I mean, That's his dad, it. and then, then yeah. it's yeah. then it's it's back to back to normal, back to yeah. normal for Captain Horus. Yeah, yep, yeah, Professor Falcon. Yeah, it's it's great. It is uh, this also like in the middle of the story has another one of my favorite ads, which is like a parody of the like the the multiple small ads on a single page. Um, Oh, uh, it, it's like you know the shop yeah. by mail ads uh it, it offers you tasty seahorses uh, <laughs> for a dollar or delicious monkey 1895 <laughs> i screen grabbed that immediately and then i was like what am i who am i gonna send this to <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's just that the egyptian mythology is just more complicated than norse or if mm. just alan moore made it more complicated but like <laughs> yeah it just felt like it's like okay i get it yeah, <laughs> i got overwhelmed yeah yeah, I see what you're doing, Alan Moore. I don't know if I appreciate it enough. It, yeah, yeah. In a, in a weird way, like when I would read Promethea, which I loved, I was like, mm. I I see what you're doing, and I appreciate this. This feels like eh, I'm not as into this thing. Just um, crammed too much into one issue. Like if he had twelve issues of Doctor Hor- Horus, we yeah, might yeah. like it better. But he's right. doing it all in one issue. Win me oh, over, yeah. yeah. This or is Doc- for- what's his name? Doctor Horus. Just Horus. Horus. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm giving him a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Well, Horus. He's a professor, I mean, in his normal <laughs> life. But uh, but he's a lord as Horace. <laughs> lord Professor Dr. Horace. <laughs> I did like the giant chain. I thought the giant chain was very cool. It looked cool, yep. yeah. Very and much. 
And before we jump to the sixth one, I'm not going to take us all the way back, I swear. But uh, throughout <laughs> their, their editorial references, this is one of my favorite things about these comics, to things that happened in other comics that don't exist. Yeah, so right. comics of the series that you're reading, uh, the letters pages do this too. And in each of the letters pages, somebody writes in to say, I've been trying to find these other issues that are referenced and I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> and and the fake letters. Yeah. yeah. So there are, there's a bunch of little in jokes within these, uh, but they're, it's painful to get through all of those letters pages. I, I didn't read the text this time, but I do remember reading that the first time. That is so funny that like <laughs> these fake people are mad that these fake issues don't exist. <laughs> it's so good. There's a great letter in this one too, uh, which I, I won't read it, but it's basically someone writing in and pointing out all the things about Egyptian mythology that just like are icky by today's standards. And it's like, how does this actually work? Like, uh, how can Isis be Horace's mom and his dad's sister both at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, eh, don't worry about it, kid. <laughs> okay, we got they're, one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. The, yeah, the, the last thing in the letters pages is they also have their own, you know, um, no prize. So there's oh, yeah. the, the, what is it called? An anti something, but they. Anti award. So that, yeah, the anti-award, which is definitely not on its way to you, um, in any form, <laughs> but it's, it happens throughout as well. So it's just every little note of these things is, is lovingly recreated and also hatefully recreated at the same time. I don't know how it is. <laughs> Whatever is happening here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last issue is the tomorrow syndicate. Um, I'll run us through this one. Uh, this is basically the Avengers. Uh, so it is, uh, Horace, uh, USA, the ultimate special agent and man, uh, Inframan and Infra girl who we have not been introduced to, but they're basically there. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp. We um, saw them in their secret identities in the fury issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice, right. Kevin. Yep. Uh, well-spotted anti-award is headed your way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. And, uh, and the hypernaut, uh, is here. So I think uh, we might've seen the fury in this last issue is the fury's name Rick. Uh, because oh. there's a college student where somebody's saying, Come yes. on, gosh, Rick, the Fury fought a dinosaur. I wish we could have seen it. Rick's like, ugh, no superheroes on this campus. And I was like, yeah, is yeah, that yeah. the Fury? <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, they they totally get the idea of the shared world, you know, and, and dropping little hints, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, the Tomorrow Syndicate, uh, they their secret headquarters is in Mount Rushmore. Um, which is great. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, they basically, uh, they, it starts out with them, you know, having a meeting, um, and, uh, Inframan, uh, is saying that they've captured all of these strange weapons, uh, and they don't think they come from earth, at least not as we know it. Um, and so, uh, we find out that these are the weapons that the void was using that, uh, the fury captured and brought to, um, Inframan and Infragirl in their civilian guises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what sets them off. Uh, then we get a great cutaway diagram of uh, Mount Rushmore and all the uh, <laughs> uh, the different labs and personal quarters and things like that in there. Anyway, so uh, tomorrow syndicate, they go off to uh, to explore. Um, I think they run into the exact same Irish cop uh, when yep. they park their vehicle. Um and uh, this leads them into Mystery Mile. Mystery Mile. So this is the crossover uh, with Mystery Incorporated, um, and they 
they fi- they basically figure out that that's where Mr. Incorporated has headed. Uh, and so they're going to go in as well. Um, and so they head in there and they see all these alternate realities um, uh, in the 1963 universe. Um, and uh, you see there's like some clever little in-jokes. Uh, at one point you see uh, a... A character who's obviously Superman, um, although the S is covered up, holding mm-hmm. a death certificate um, right. while he's standing in line. Um, and uh, they uh, go to a uh, version of Earth where uh, basically an evil mirror universe um, where Mount Rushmore um, has Al Capone, John Wilkes Booth, <laughs> Benedict Arnold, and Billy the Kid's heads. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so they, they go to all these different uh, realities. They're they're uh, plunging through them um, and they wind up uh, getting to uh, – well, they, they tease that they uh, they almost get stuck in 1963 and a half, um, which is the book that we talked about earlier. Um, and then they hit sort of this multiversal two-page spread – um, that has all of these glimpses of all of these other comics characters, basically. Um, how many of yeah. these guys were you, did you guys recognize? This is, it's always a fun game to play. Okay. Uh, three, one, two, three, four, five. S- yeah. One, six, seven, two, eight, three. nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Most of them. Um, I got like five, I think. Yeah. There's a little Bean World. There's, yep, Bean World's in there. There's a... Flaming Carrot. Yeah. Yep, Flaming Carrot, Sin City. There's like three I don't know. Cerebus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cerebus is in there. Understanding Uh, Comics way in the corner Scott McCloud, yeah. There's Tyrant by Steve Bissett, the dinosaur book. Is that a Super Duper Man in the upper right-hand corner? No, that's... That's Normal Man. That's Jim Valentino's book. Yep. Yeah, there's the... the George Not George Washington. um, The Frank Miller... Oh, uh, Martha Washington. Martha Washington, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Sin City, of course. Yep. Uh, Mr. Monster, I think we said that already. We said uh, Jim, right? The Jim comics? Jim, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one I don't know is the upper left corner. What was that? I was trying to figure that out, too. I, I think it might be Strangers in Paradise, but I'm not sure. It doesn't look like that. Yeah. It, it might be. And I don't know. The, who's the guy with the big head behind N-Man? The guy with the big head behind N-Man. That I was, I didn't know that one either. But yeah, right in, yeah. listeners. <laughs> that looks like a Chester Brown character. I think that might be from okay. Ed, uh, Happy Clown or something like that. Oh, I think oh yeah. Could and be. Who, and who's the guy, like top top center almost with the like. That's uh, Maxi Mortal um, from oh, Rick, right, right. Rick Veach's. Rick okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, well, I should I should have recognized him. I fail myself for getting one. <laughs> <laughs> you were, yeah. you were probably pretty sleepy at this point. That's, that's a lot of comics. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I mean, it's it's them featuring all of their friends stuff uh, and some of their own stuff in here, uh, which is great. Again, like if the one of the motivations for doing these books was to sort of establish image as this, you know, this is the time when creators writes are going to finally be represented by a major comic book company. Like this is kind of a statement of purpose. Like this is the family that we're all in. You know, this is the reality that we live in. Um, it's really it's, fun when you see comic book creators be fans of other creators. I stuff. love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
just to see what turns them on, what they notice, what they love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And even uh, more so when it's not one of the big obvious ones. Like I do love people who love Kirby, but I sure. know everybody loves Kirby. So to see somebody love Bean World is cool. Yes, exactly. Um, and so uh, they uh, they they go through uh, a dimensional portal and they wind up um, in a world that looks very different from the one that they came from. Uh, it's all uh, they talk about it. Uh, it's like, uh, this seems to be the place, but I don't like the look of it. The light here, everything looks so harsh and vivid. <laughs> um, and it's, so it's like, you know, very, it's like early computer coloring. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, everything is just sort of, uh, it's got like, th- there is a tone and a depth to it. Uh, everything's kind of grim also, uh, like, you know, muted color palettes and things like that. Um, and this is where we see finally, um, the mysterious figure who had kidnapped kid dynamo, um, is, uh, uh, he's approaching his lair. Uh, he removes his outer costume and all together now, who is it? <laughs> the guy from Youngblood. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a guy from Youngblood. Yeah. Uh, I, I think his name is Shaft. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a terrible that's, name. Oh my yeah. God. I mean, it's a great name for, you know, uh, a detective in the seventies, you know, in yeah. gritty urban or slang for a part of your penis. That's yeah, sure. Yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it but is the yeah. most nineties panel in all six issues. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's so grossly nineties. Uh, I, I remember getting to this point and instead of being excited about it going, Oh, like I would have read the annual that, that that's supposed to come out of this because I would have been excited for Alan Moore to do it. But yeah. I was like, oh, I don't care about the image characters. I was only yeah. think I think I was only reading Savage Dragon and like nothing else interested me. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I read Spawn, Savage Dragon, and Shadowhawk for a while. But mm-hmm. uh, I read the other issues of Spawn. So I read on you guys probably know this, but I read on Wikipedia that the idea was in the annual they would be in the 1993 world. So they had they've come from this like happy go lucky Marvel Comics, Silver Age, DC Comics aesthetic mm-hmm. into the post Watchmen, post Dark Knight, gritty, ultra violent. Well, into modern, the image world. Into yes. the image world. Yeah. So which was that? I mean, so the image how, world how was. These, how that do was these the image characters world that react we, we, to that, which Alan Moore yeah. loves doing, right? He did it with yeah. with Miracle Man and Watchmen in a, in a way was doing that. And it's his – it would have been great. I think it would have yeah. been great if he did it. It would have been great. I just had like – when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I don't care about Youngblood. I don't care about Shadowhawk. I don't care about Spawn. I mm-hmm. like Savage Dragon okay, but I don't – like. it was sort of like oh, – I don't. if it was like tying into the Marvel Universe, I would have been like, oh, I'm into it or DC mm-hmm. Universe. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just from my snobbish point of view, I was like, oh, these characters are bad versions of the characters these guys were doing when they did yes. corporate comics. Like, you're, I don't need to read Rob Liefeld's X-Men. You're yeah. totally right. right. I felt the same, like, stomach dropping. Oh, what a bummer. However, to see Alan Moore's take on all of it would have been yeah. so funny. And everybody who's doing those comics should have just shut up and taken notes if Alan Moore's like, well, I'll show you how to do a great Yeah, he would have done a great story. job. Right, right, yeah. Like, there's no question I would have bought it. I'm not saying like, ugh, I'm out. I was like, no, I'm interested. But I was like, oh, yeah. And it's not the most interesting turn for for what I wanted it to go. Though I yes. was surprised. I was genuinely surprised when I got there. <laughs> yeah. Can you yep. imagine the relevance it would have given to the image comics, like to all the comics that he's referencing here? Yeah. Like mm. to have, it would have meant so much more to image comics if they had done this annual. I mean, to have. 
Yeah. When this came out, how many issues of Youngblood had actually been published? I mean, not that many, because this is like, again, only like a year, year and a half after Image had been founded, and Youngblood didn't have the most right. regular release schedule. <laughs> there's something bad about it. There's something like, oh, we're going to tie into this character, this book that barely has even gotten off its own <laughs> feet. It has, yeah. can't even get started. Like, Spawn and Savage Dragon, at least, were like trucking along at a decent pace. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you want to cross over with those two? Makes sense. You're going to cross over with Youngblood? Who cares? I mean, even Wildcats <laughs> was doing okay, and even that was a little mm-hmm. slow, if I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But it's just like there's just no traction with some of those books, which yeah. is, I think, the flaw. I mean, I'm amazed Image survived because some of their big-name books sort of came out of the gate with like one issue a year. It's like, oh, my goodness, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, you know, eventually all the infighting between the partners and things like yeah. that. Yeah, like it was it was messy for the first few years, and then immediately, you know, the entire comics industry fell apart. Uh, so that yeah. was fun, and they survived all of that, which is yeah. a credit to them. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, so let's we could talk a little bit about what was supposed to happen. Um, and I've I've done some research. If if you guys have anything to throw in here, please do. But I've read articles about it, but I bet you know it a little better than me. Sure. Um, I'll jump in if I have anything. For sure. So uh, the idea was that that Jim Lee was supposed to illustrate this 80-page annual um, that was going to come out uh, the next year. Um, And it was going to feature basically every major image character of the time. Uh, Spawn and Shadowhawk, uh, Youngblood was going to be in there, Wildcats was going to be in there. Uh, I think Savage Dragon was. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, basically the entire pantheon. So... What wound up happening was um, Moore got about halfway through writing it, um, not even quite halfway through. Um, and then Jim Lee announced that he was going to take a year-long sabbatical from doing comic book art. <laughs> um, so already it's like, okay, well, that's not a promising beginning. Um and then after that year passed, like a lot of things had changed uh, with the company. So Rob Liefeld had left Image uh, and he'd taken his characters with him which meant that this whole thing about having his young blood character, you know, as you know, at the very end of this, like we had to figure out what you're going to do with that. Um, even when Jim Lee started doing work again, he was swamped um, and it was just unlikely he was going to clear his schedule enough to be able to do this work. Um, and also like by then superhero comics had started becoming less gritty. Like, mm. Uh, Marvels had come out by this point. Um, you know, there really was kind of a, there was a, a turn away from sort of the gratuitously dark and violent comics. Um, so, you know, it sort of undercut the whole idea of them going to this grim and gritty world of 1993. Um, and, and honestly, like Moore just wasn't all that interested in doing superhero stuff after, you know, it had lied fallow for that long. Um, and then in 1998, Jim Lee sold Wildstorm to DC Comics, and that pissed Moore off because, you know, he had he had basically vowed never to work for DC Comics again because of his disputes with them over the royalties and rights to Watchmen. So, um, and by this point, he was doing ABC Comics. So, Wildstorm going to DC took Alan Moore to DC. Yeah, and he, he was, was not real pissed about that. About that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's, he extricated himself from that as quickly as he could. And he was right. I mean, DC uses like Tom Strong in their books now and stuff. And it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. It misses the point. It's one thing when they do Watchmen stuff where I'm like, eh, that was done back in a time where like you did take those characters. Like this was done in a time where he clearly 
There was no question that he did not want you to have these characters. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, there's also the it, the mention that Jim Valentino, who got uh, Alan Moore in on this whole deal, was going to draw, like wanted to be a, a bigger part of this. And yeah. apparently Jim Lee sent somebody to uh, to a Comic-Con to to talk to Veach and uh, Steve Bissett and talk them, you know, say that talk, basically say, I'm going to draw the annual. And then that be, that set off some infighting among those creators as well. Um, that's from I think Bissett's or mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah Bissett kind of, he did sorry he had a also that was another big thing. I mean that's yeah. a good transition to that the falling out between Bissett and Moore. Um, so uh, during the this hiatus, uh, Bissett had done a, an interview with the Comics Journal. Um, it was basically about kind of the perils of creative collaboration in comics and how dangerous it can be when you're in, you know, these relationships, when you have two creators and one of them is basically put in the role of being the publisher, you know? Mm. Um, and you know, to his credit, he's, he was pretty, he was actually very diplomatic in the interview and, you know, he he tried hard to get everyone the benefit of the doubt who he mentioned. Um, he even sent transcripts of it to everyone who he mentioned before it was published and said, Hey, if there's anything I got wrong, or if there's anything you're not comfortable with me talking about, let me know and I'll change it or remove it. Um, but he also aired some kind of dirty laundry, uh, when he was publishing the, the anthology taboo. Um, that's where Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell's from hell, uh, the first few chapters were published. And, so, you know, he he did allude to how it was challenging to be Alan Moore's publisher um, during that point. And Bissett heard through Neil Gaiman that Moore was upset uh, by what he had to say in the interview. So Bissett called him up um, and Moore said, right, Steve, I'll keep this short. Don't call me. Don't write me. As far as I'm concerned, it's over, mate. And he hung up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's all Steve's version of it because Alan that's, Moore's never spoken about it. Exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, you know, take but it But I believe it. <laughs> I believe it yeah. 100%. It seems reasonable. I mean, you It's know, also Moore, crazy. He's like, he said he would w- tell him not to put that in the interview. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Alan Moore did not respond to the transcript. He did not say, take this out, don't do this. No, no. Yeah, so yeah, the if interview. He had, yeah. If he had said it and then published, they had published it anyway, sure. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Bissett also talked about, you know, that he was under the impression they were doing it, the 1963 series, you know, for Jim Valentino, like under under his umbrella. And he said, Rick Veach and I found ourselves caught in a crossfire between the image partners pissing contests. Uh, They quickly took the uh, initiation of the 1963 project as an open door to working with Alan on their respective projects. Um, again, we didn't realize at the time this is also tied up with their competitive natures. Uh, that is, it was Jim Valentino's coup that he got Alan Moore on board via 1963, and the other image partners wanted a piece of that action, which would also trump Jim Valentino's initial coup. We didn't realize the image partners were in competition with one another. We unfortunately allowed our confusion to undercut Jim Valentino. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, he says, to make a very long story short, I believe then and I believe now, had we stuck with Jim Valentino, the annual would have been completed and seen print. Jim Lee simply never did anything. Whoa. Wow. So, what a saga. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. And also, like, I think since then, like, they've tried to get this reprinted. And Al Moore just said, no, it won't sign off on it or anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they can use the characters. Like, I think, yes. like, 
Steve Bissett can do a new Fury story if he wants, but they can't reprint this. It would just have to be a, like the character's not that interesting to do a brand new story out of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Like the real money would be republishing this. And yeah. like these guys would get a nice paycheck, but Alan Moore yeah. says no. And it's like, that's the places where I'm like, you might not be Stan Lee, but that's also kind of a dick move. Like, yeah. I co-created something, even if I didn't like yeah, it. You don't have to do any more work. Yeah. I would just sort of be right. like, everyone else wants to sell it again. I'm like, sure. And you're not going to like, I don't know. Yeah. It's good. It makes you look good. You'll get paid. Yeah. You don't have to do any work. Your friends get paid. Just shut up and do yeah. it. Helping yeah. people that used to be your friends or are your friends get paid. Seems you don't you don't even have to help. Just don't stop. Like don't yeah. stop it from happening. Just like, sign yeah. the thing and say, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like whatever. Give me my cut or give it to charity or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't do that. And it's just like, I mean, you're a jerk sometimes. And like, I love your yep. comics and I'll keep reading if you ever come back to them. Uh but uh you're a jerk. Yeah. You're a jerk. And and the fact that you hate other creators is hypocritical. And maybe you mm-hmm. even know that, but um I bet he does. Yeah. Just doesn't care. Uh, speaking of that, we have some paperwork we're going to need you to sign about this episode. So, uh, <laughs> I won't even read it. Oh, you're releasing over it? To you after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to implode just, the podcasting the industry. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, you cannot, you cannot legitimately purchase these issues digitally. Um, yeah. They are super easy to find online if anyone's interested <laughs> yeah. in, in doing that. Um, and and, uh, and if you have that, the original they're issues. they're not that hard to find in yeah back issues as well they're not they're very cheap uh and you can get them collected into a nice hardcover oh, uh, go through totally. a bindery and they'll put them all together for you these are my original issues uh, since i grew up in vermont um where Bissette and veach live um i have i don't know if you can see that but that's some autographed ooh, that one's si- nice. signed by by veach so all of all of my copies are signed and they're all oh, bound wow. together and it's it's a nice little artifact it just sucks that this is the only way you can have it you know it's like yeah i do think that you know i is this the best work that any of these guys have ever done it's like no i, I don't think so but it's fun um mm-hmm. yeah we've talked for two hours about it and mm-hmm. you know we haven't all fallen asleep yet jamie <laughs> jamie, jamie. I'm, I'm sorry sorry <laughs> sorry it's been a long day yeah, yeah i mean i do okay. think like i haven't checked on ebay or stuff but, but because it's like one of the lesser alan moore works i think it is easy to get um but i don't i think it's i think it's up there with Tom Strong, I put it at that yeah, level. Yeah, I don't think sure. it's quite top ten Promethea, which I really love. Those it's certainly it's above, not Watchmen. It's above Supreme, I think. I think it's above Supreme. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not the bottom. It is. It's just. It's not one of his peak works. Yeah, but I don't know what that. I mean, his peak works are better than everyone else's. So that is a crazy <laughs> bar. <laughs> yeah, it's like even the worst Alan Moore it's stuff. A, it's middle tier Alan Moore, which is like really yeah. good. Well, because yeah. again, like, what was he actually trying for? Like, he yeah. wasn't trying to be the best Alan Moore. He was trying to be a version of Stan Lee for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah, it's yeah. mostly a fun comic, not a, uh, a Miracle Man type thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. not yeah, redefining things so much as uh, having fun with things. And this is definitely this is a period of Alan Moore's career that I think is underappreciated, but I really like, uh, which is where he was kind of bound and determined to try to just make comics fun Mm. again and make them accessible to younger readers again. Mm. Um, Yeah, which and that's something like, you know, I know early image takes a lot of crap and it wasn't my thing when I was reading comics uh, at the time. You know, I was in my late teens. So, you know, it was it was it was fine, uh, but I I had moved on to Vertigo and and things like that by that point. But 
Um, it was maybe the last time that there was a concerted effort by a mainstream publisher to make comics for children, you know, and that's really what the image comics were. Like oh. they were for like 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds, you know, I've never like, heard anyone I, say that before. That's interesting. I really think they were like, they I definitely think, were like, cause I think I, we might be about the same age based on what mm-hmm. you're saying, but like people who are like five or six years younger than me loved all that early image stuff. Yes. And, yeah. and I like bought some of it out of curiosity, but it just didn't catch me. And like those people didn't read like Hellboy and things like that. They were, yep. they wanted Todd McFarlane art. You know, they wanted stuff that was a little bit more flash, a little bit less substance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They loved Jim Lee's X-Men more than John Byrne's X-Men. And like, I get that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with it, but um, Brett White will, for an example, someone who's like, gotcha. this is his stuff. And uh, I get it. I get it. I, I, an image was cool for that. I, I, I still amazed it worked. <laughs> yeah. It's around and like the big publisher it is. And it's, I'm glad it did. It's great. Yeah. And they, I mean, and thank God they are because like they're, I, I swear like half the new stuff I read now is published by image, you know, like, you know, they've just been a, a really great home for creators uh, who have established themselves and they want to do something that they can own all the TV and movie rights to, and they can get decent royalties. You know, they don't get anything up front. They have to pay their team, but they get to keep everything that comes in. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all in ranges of it, like boom and IDW. They all different levels of it. And I don't know where they all stand. Yeah. Image is the only one that I'm sure of is like, if that character makes it big, that create creator, th- it's up to those creators. How it goes, obviously they can fight mm-hmm. within themselves as walking dead is proven. <laughs> yep. Um, but, uh, like the image is not going to be the problem there. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think uh, we have thoroughly discussed 1963. <laughs> I'm going to say that we have accomplished our mission. We have fulfilled our premise of this episode. Um, I've got more. <laughs> so what page if, one. Yeah. I thought we were just going to <laughs> before we got into it. Let's get into it now. Yeah, All right. Theme times. song now. Uh, guys, uh, Will, Kevin Hines, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this very special episode of Marvel by the Month. Thank you for having us. We're thanks thrilled to be asked. And thanks for letting us steal this audio for screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I mean, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's listening to our podcast, I hope you guys come over and listen to their podcast. It's a super cool concept. Also, didn't one of which of you guys got a question in Tom Brevoort's newsletter the same time I did? You and yeah, me. I did. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. We had we had a, a crossover before the crossover here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was it's great. A 1963 moment. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is he, he's such a I love that newsletter. Like, me too. Yeah, me too. I love Holy it. cow! What a yeah. gift! Uh, it's a like real it. gift. <laughs> <laughs> it's not detailed enough for you, right? Yeah, you just, want, some, just want someone who has opinions about comic books. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I want somebody with a more breadth of knowledge. I don't right, like yeah. uh, how shallow his knowledge is. Yeah. Yeah. I need some more Battleship Yamato content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, this is great. Screw it. Uh, we're just going to talk about comics. One of my very favorite comic podcasts out there. Um, mm-hmm. I highly encourage you to check it out. Uh, you guys now are doing, uh, let's see, you're, you're talking about the John Byrne FF issues. Yeah. Uh, we're about mm-hmm. to do some, we're going to do uh, episodes on the Marvel firsts like all the number ones from the silver age like iron man number one ant-man number one just the first uh, issue of each of those X-Men original titles yeah i love it uh, we we covered three of them in the in the course of our other seasons but we're going to cover kind of the someone suggested you should just cover the other ones because they're bad or crazy or weird and it's like <laughs> yeah you're right those are fun yeah and it'll be quick yeah early marvel is like even when they're bad 
they're fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah. even that's kind of the pres- premise of our entire thing here. <laughs> like Larry Lieber uh, Ant-Man stories. <laughs> yeah, or they're, they're horribly bad and they're fun to read because they're so bad. Uh, uh, there was a magic. Like a, there's yeah. magic in those early issues, no matter yeah, what. <laughs> and each one of them is kind of laying down some kind of track about like what this is, like what is this giant entity and who mm-hmm. are these people and how do they operate? Uh, uh, it, it's fascinating. It's like uh, anth- anthropology. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Um, I think we should probably wrap this up uh, because we've gone on long enough and we're under winter storm watch here. So the power could go out at any moment. So thank you guys again. And uh, to our regular listeners, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week for next month. And that was it. Kevin, how'd we sound? Um, I think we sounded really good. I thought we sounded really smart, smart, you know, funny, funny, erudite. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we, we, uh, we sounded like people you'd want to be friends with. That's what our goal is. Yeah. Uh, I don't want you to be my friend, but you would want to be my friend. That's what what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, We're going to become popular. Well, um, it was really fun discussion. We want to thank the Marvel by the month folks for having us on. It was really fun. And, um, and we'll be and, back next episode to start our Marvel first sort of very relevant 1963. We're going to talk about all the first issues of uh, the Marvel universe. So yeah. next week we're going to discuss the three we've already covered in other seasons, Amazing Fantasy 15, Hulk issue one, and Fantastic Four issue one. And then we'll go through like Iron Man and Doctor Strange and X-Men and whatever. And if you want to email us about uh, 1963 or um... – the comic or the year uh, and any other thing about comics that we've talked about or uh, what you, whatever you're reading in comics, please let us know. Our email is screwitcomics at Gmail. And we also have an Instagram screw it comics and a Twitter screw it comics. Yeah. We're a little bit, we're, we're all over the place. We get it. Yeah. So uh, look forward to that next week, everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. comics.